You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. This morning as we continue through uh, our latest series with Q&A, the question was posed, how can my prayer have more depth? And it's an interesting question at first, I was thinking, okay, I don't know, how can it have more depth? And I think we've all thought this at some part, at some point in our life, you know, does God hear me? Can He hear me? Am I not praying right? I'm, what's going on in my prayer life? For whatever reason, I don't feel like God is speaking to me. And so it's a very valid question. And so there's a, there may be a different twist that I approach it with this morning, so I hope you pay attention. I hope you stay awake. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of Scripture that I run through real quick. And then we're going to land in Hebrews. We're going to land in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you want to flip there, you can. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. Like I said, there's going to be a lot of verses that I go through. You're welcome to email me. I'll send you my notes. You don't have to worry about taking notes. It's going to be a lot. Uh, but hopefully we can cover it in three hours. So We'll start with the definition prayer. Uh, prayer in the Greek means this. It means stressing direction, closeness, or to ask or to request. The basic meaning of this word, which I love, and I think this is where we're going to settle in on, when we think of the basic meaning of prayer, it is an avenue of drawing near to God in worship and dependence because He is all-sufficient and we are not. So this is where we're really going to settle. So keep that in mind. That's our basic meaning. Prayer becomes this means by which we can draw closer to God or which we need to draw closer to God because of His sufficiency. Because He is all-sufficient. And so in the concordance, if you look up prayer, 331 times it's mentioned, so I say it's pretty important. Uh, certain concordance would say up to 500 times depending on your translation because it used the word ask just in reference for prayer. But if we use pray, prayer, ask, up to 500 times in Scripture we see that. Now we're not going to cover all 500 verses, but we'll be close. Uh, but 500 times it's mentioned. And so prayer is, is vital. It's vital to the Christian life. Uh, I think it can't go without and so we must learn how to pray, must learn how to communicate with the Father. A couple misconceptions I want to just throw out there real quick. Postures of prayer. There's not a certain way we have to pray. There are many postures. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to fold your hands. You don't have to do there's no structure in that. And so I want you to understand there's a reverence to our prayer. There's a way that we approach God, but we see in Scripture where they fall on their knees, they cry, they stand. Their eyes are open. They sing. There's so many different postures to pray. So don't fall into this misconception that you have to close your eyes and pray. That's good, and you can. And if you're distracted, I would say close your eyes and pray. Don't be distracted. Uh, don't drive and do that, but we'll, we'll you know, figure it out. Pull over on the side. It's okay. Got it. You can know, allow a pit stop there and pray. The other misconception is there's uh, the times. You know, We see in Scripture that God, uh, Jesus sought God in the morning at night, in the evening, all the time. So there's not a certain time you have to set aside to pray. Meet with the Father. Any time is a good time. Any time is a good time. But once again, hey, if morning there's less distractions, seek Him in the morning. If night, seek Him at night. Seek Him all day long. And then a certain prayer. There's not a written prayer that you have to follow. There's no structure to our prayer life. 
I would say that you with your spouse, there's no structure to the way you meet and talk to your wife. That you're one with God. That we believe as Christians, as believers, that when we are united with Christ, we're one with Christ. And so we communicate with Christ like we would our spouse. That it's personal. That it has depth. That it has meaning. That it's not in vain. It's not a written prayer. So don't fall into that misconception. And so then we get into the question. And I'm a word guy. And so the question was, how can I make my life, uh, prayer life have more depth? So I looked at the word depth, and I said, well, what is depth? It's a profound, intense state as thoughts are feeling. It's a degree of intensity, a quality of being profound, as in like insight, or full as of in knowledge. So keep that in the back of your mind as we think about my prayer life. It needs to have more depth. Here's some synonyms. Deepness, complexity, wisdom, gravity, penetration. All great words. When we think about how can my prayer penetrate, how can it have more gravity? Can I have wisdom in my prayer? These are great words. And so think that, keep that in the mind. But as you keep in mind, this is where I want to kind of transition our focus. When we think of a professional photographer, not a guy that, you know, takes selfies and all that good stuff. A professional photographer. When we think of that, there's a word called depth of field. I don't know if you've heard of that. But what it means is, and too often when we look at photographs, if you take a picture of someone and the background's blurred, we would say there's no depth of field. We would say there's a lack of that. But when we take a picture and there's clarity across the board, we'd say that the depth of field is great. It's good. There's clarity. We can see the trees in the background. It's not blurred. We don't just see the face of the person. And so when we think of this, keep this in mind, that when we, when we enter into a prayer life, our depth of field must be good. And why do we say that? Because we tend to fall into one particular thing. I'm focused on Thanksgiving. And so my prayer life is always about Thanksgiving. Or my prayer life is always about want. Or it's always about when I'm in need. And so our depth of field in our prayer life has been shrunk down to nothing. It's shrunk down to one thing. And so we need to have depth of field in our prayer life. We need to see clearly all things when we pray to God. And so in saying that, here's different forms of prayer. Repentance. Genuine repentance is when we, as believers, fall to our knees and cry out to the Father to restore us. To restore us. To forgive us. To deliver us from the burden of sin in our life. And our life has changed. Then confession. Confession is a daily thing. As Christians, we confess how we messed up. Forgive me, Father. Teach me. I'm confessing to You. Praise. We praise God. We exalt God. We adore God for who He is. For being a good Father. We just sang that. We just exalted God. He is good. That we fast. Our, past, our fasting and our prayer goes together. Fasting means we just withhold from something, whether it's drink, food, or water, or both. That we're fasting from that so that we can focus our life and our prayer more on who God is. Thanksgiving, being thankful for all things, good or bad, being thankful. Petitioning, asking of the Father, asking of things that we need, whether big or small. And then supplication is asking on behalf of others. 
asking for what is good in the Father's will. And that we humbly do that. And so here we go. We're going to get into some Scripture real quick. Our prayers should be offered up in a bunch of different ways. And so I'm going to run through this, I promise. Go back to the audio, write it down, or I will, I promise I'll email you my notes if you want them. They're nothing special, but I'll email them to you. This is what prayer says. It should be offered up in times of affliction. Isaiah 26 says, Lord, they sought you in distress. They could only whisper a prayer. Your chastising was upon them. Our prayer should be in the Holy Spirit. In Jude it says, But you, beloved, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. We must pray in faith. But we must ask, and James says this, he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Matthew 6 says we must pray with a forgiving spirit. He says, forgive our debtors as we forgive. Uh, Let us forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then in Psalms 119, that we pray with a heart. It says, I cried out my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. And we pray with our soul. Psalms 42 says, The things I remember, I pour out my soul within me. And that we pray with a spirit of understanding. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, What is the outcome then? I will pray with a spirit and I will pray with a mind also. I will sing with my spirit and I will sing with my mind also. That we pray in confidence to God. In 1 John, it says, This is the confidence which we have before Him that we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. He hears us. We pray in confidence. That we pray with a submission to God, saying, Father, in Luke 22, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Yet not My will, but Your will be done. That we submit our lives to the Father. That we pray with sincere lips. Psalm 17, it says, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Give heed to My cry. Give ear to My prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. That we pray in holiness. First Timothy two says, "Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands with wrath, without wrath and doubting, with humility." Second Chronicles says, "My people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land." And that we speak prayers of truth. John 4 says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that we pray with a desire to be heard. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayers. That's Psalm 61. And in Psalms 27, a desire to be answered. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. And that we pray with boldness. Therefore, in Hebrews 4, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. That we pray earnestly. In 1 Thessalonians 3, it says, as we night and day we pray, keeping most earnestly that we may see your face and we may complete what is lacking in our faith. With persistence in Romans 12, rejoicing in hope patience and tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Prayer at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. And then last, that we pray in everything. 
Philippians 4, 6. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. And so why do I give you so many verses? Because when I looked it up, when I started thinking of these verses, when I started wanting to say, God, how can I have more depth? How can I understand the gravity of my prayer life? How can it penetrate my soul? I understood that my depth of field was shrunken down. And that's tough. It's tough to admit that. When I looked at these verses, I said, do I pray with humility? Do I pray only in times of affliction? Only when things are good? Or do I pray to be answered, to be heard? Do I pray with boldness? Do I pray with a spirit that longs to see God? Do I pray earnestly, persistently? Do I always pray? Am I in communion with God the Father? Do I pray with joy? Do I pray in faith? Do I pray with sincere lips? See how my depth my depth just widened? But understand truly how to pray to God. That's where our depth comes from. That's where our depth comes from. And so, the answer to the question is this. How can my prayers have more depth? Remember what we talked about. Our prayer is this. is the avenue to drawing closer to God in worship and dependence on Him because He is all-sufficient and we are not. And so, in that, how can it be deeper? How can it go deeper? And the answer is simple. We draw near to God. We draw near to God. And you say, well, what about the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer is just a skeleton on how we should pray when we pray. And it's very vital to the Christian life. Very vital to understand the Lord's Prayer and how to pray. But it gives us no depth if we don't understand all that we've just went through. We need a depth of field. And so I encourage you to, Casey, this little plug, but Casey taught on Devoted, a series called Devoted. Go online. He taught on the Lord's Prayer, did a great job on it. And so if you want to do that, if you want to know more about that, go online, download the sermons, listen to them. He does a great job with that and with the Lord's Prayer. But today we're going to talk about the depth. And so here's Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance and faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another in love and good deeds, for <clears throat> not forsaking our own assembling together as it was habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so right at the beginning, our position Right at the beginning, the writer of Hebrews says this, our position that we have a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that we have confidence to enter in to a holy place. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, since you have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is the flesh. And we know that only the high priest could enter in once a year. And that it was blocked off from all worshipers except the high priest. 
And so the author here uses this metaphor because the Jews would have understood this. He uses this metaphor, and this is a radical concept that we can enter into the presence of God every day. Every day we have access to the Father because Jesus tore the veil. And we have access. And so we can draw near. It's not once a year, but every day, every moment, we can draw near to God. We draw near. And so the basis of our confidence when he says we have confidence is nothing to do with who we are. It's nothing to do with who we are. But what Christ did when He died and the veil was torn and He gave us full access. Full access to draw near to Him. And then in verse 21 it says, since we have this great priest over the house of God. And, and just this reaffirms what He is trying to say here that the house of God here is us. It's believers that we have a high priest over us, that no longer does God reign in a temple or a tabernacle, but that He reigns within you as a believer. And He is our high priest and He is over us. His church, His bride. And then point number two is this, our practice. So we have a position. We have our position found in Christ and what He did on the cross. And as the veil was torn, that we have full access And here's our practice. It says we should draw near to God in faith and hold fast to the confession of our hope. And so, verse 22, it says, let us draw near with sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are to draw near to God in full assurance of our faith. And I believe if you follow into chapter 11 that the theme is continued there. And it says in verse 11, I mean chapter 11, verse 6, it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. That faith is both a gift from God and it is our responsibility. And that our faith rests on His promises, not what we can do. I love Ephesians 2. It says we're saved through faith. And it says we walk by faith. And in Colossians 2, verse 6, and our faith is not a mindless, blindless leap into darkness. But our faith is solid and true and built upon the promises of God. It's not blind. We don't live with a blind faith. We walk in truth. We walk in wisdom. We walk in the Spirit of God. And we have a faith that is real, not blind. So be encouraged this morning by that. We're not just jumping out and saying, Lord, we trust You. We know that He is truth. We know that He is good. And so then it says in verse 23, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promises is faithful. Hope refers to the future hope of our salvation and confession. Confession, if we could look at it from the believer's standpoint, it's our baptism. It's where we stood before you all and say, we follow and surrender and obey Christ for the rest of my life. We are confessing that to you. And just like you would stand before your bride in a wedding and you would say, I I confess that I will be faithful to this woman from here on out and that I will love her with everything that I have. This is what we do. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that we are going to hold fast to the confession of our faith. That we stood before you as the church, and we said, we trust God is good, that He is Savior, that He's Almighty, 
and I am willing to obey Him no matter the circumstances. That's not where it stops. Because it's two-part. You have a responsibility to keep me accountable as a believer as I confess that hope in Jesus Christ. It's a two-way street. Just like in marriage. It's a two-way street. So we as the church will hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. And in here, the word hold fast implies that there is some sort of difficulty, there is some sort of danger that could pry me from my faith. So we must hold fast to that. We must hold fast. And then in verse 24-25, it says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as it is habit for some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's an unusual word here. It says stimulate, which often is a negative word, meaning to provoke. But here the author uses it to grab our attention. He says, rather than provoking one another to anger, he said, think about how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. So it's an interesting way he uses this word, but I think it implies in the Christian life that we need to work it out together. That we need to work it out together. That it's not automatic. It's just like automatic. We just love each other. And we all get along because we're Christians, right? Like, you know, we're all hanging out. And we're great. And we're buddies. Not really. <laughs> now we understand that there is a thread, and it's the gospel that knits us together. But we have to work it out together. We do life on life ministry here. If you know anything about us here at the Oaks, that's what we love to do. We want to be genuine people that do life on life ministry. We want to walk with you in the struggles. We want to encourage you in the good times. We want to sit and go, I don't know what's going on. We want to be real with you. We want to do life. We don't want to be fake. And so we want to work it out. We want this verse to be real. He said, let us consider how to stimulate one another in love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. We want to gather as believers as it is habit for some, but encouraging one another and all the more to see on the day drawing near. We must encourage, we must stimulate one another to love and good deeds and not forsake. And so in saying all that, here's the conclusion. How can I make my prayer life have more depth? How can I make it have more gravity, more weight in my life? Look at prayer as an avenue of drawing near to God. For He is all-sufficient. That is the answer. That is the answer. Is He all-sufficient? Is He efficient enough in my suffering to pray? Is He efficient enough in the goodness to pray? When when we're thankful, when there's joy, when there's affliction, when we're looking for an answer, when there is no answer, what is the depth of our field? Is it singularly focused? Or is it widened? That everything and all things become clear. That we hold fast to the confession of our faith. That we do not waver in the midst of hard times. But we stay fast. And that we do it as a people, as a church, 
that has a high priest overlooking us and watching over us. I pray that You are not like me and that Your depth of field is widened as is mine. I love when questions are asked and you think right away, my prayer life's pretty good. And then God kind of slaps you in the face and says, you know what? Look at these verses. Does your prayer life look like this? Or is it only when I need something? Is it only when Jason needs something? That's a tough reality. So I pray that it's been widened. I pray that your depth of field that you leave here, that you take these Scriptures, that you take in light what God has taught you and that you draw near to Him so that you can truly understand how to pray and what your prayer life looks like. Let me pray. Father,